The genre thus far has given us many great examples of those who have travelled and found themselves out with the depths of their understanding, challenging their concepts and beliefs of reality. The journey has been long, but I would argue that it's been worth it. We have traversed the countrysides of England to the small quaint islands of Scotland in our search and our journey through British folk horror cinema. On this last stop, we take a lot of the concepts, a lot of the ideas and a lot of the tropes that we've experienced thus far and play around with them in ways which turn out to be quite delightful and at other times emotionally draining. What if instead of being in a place that you're not used to and experiencing events that you can't quite fathom and on top of that, being out with your depth, you go seeking those very things. What if your whole purpose for being in the location you are in is to meddle with powers that you do not understand, in the hopes that it might give you the closure that you so desperately need on the trauma of a past event? On this final stop in Chronicles Season 3, we are looking at the final movie in our folk horror journey. This is 2016's A Dark Song. Hi everyone, I'm Duncan McLeish and you're listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Ignition, T-10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, liftoff. And welcome back to Chronicle Podcast. This is episode number nine and chapter number three, the final episode of our third season looking at European horror cinema. This specific season has been a odyssey, if you will, into folk horror cinema in the British Isles. I've really, really enjoyed the journey that we've taken and it has been one that has been a bit of an eye-opener and at times hopefully introduced you to movies that you maybe hadn't seen in a while and those that you hadn't even seen before. Maybe even considered them as potentially applicable to the folk horror genre. Now when I do all these seasons of Chronicle, it always starts off with an idea, a concept. Wouldn't it be cool to do this particular subgenre or tackle this particular subject. Once I have that locked in, I then have to think of, do I have a good scope of movies, old and new, that carry an idea, a theme, a subgenre or a concept from its inception right through to potential revivals and the modernisation of the original thought. Originally, when I came up with the list, this last episode featured A Field in England by Ben Wheatley. Now, the reason I'd selected it is I think it is, for all intents and purposes, the culmination of the genre as a whole. It's a weird pinnacle that has yet to be topped. In fact, no one's really approached the true essence of folk horror cinema 
like Ben Wheatley did in that movie. It is a movie that really does transcend the genre as a whole and becomes almost this weird little entity which is standalone and to the side of the genre altogether. I had that as my last movie, but I really wanted to discuss Kill List. So, opted to bring Kill List in, which kind of left this space vacant, and there were a few ideas for modern horror movies we could do in this final episode. It left me with a choice between two movies to discuss. One being The Ghoul from 2016, a movie which kind of plays with kind of the occult, the esoteric, and kind of folk horror ideas through the confines of a police investigation. The second one being this movie we're going to discuss, A Dark Song. The reason I've settled on this one is I think that when we consider the tropes and we consider the ideas we have covered thus far, A Dark Song not only embraces them for the most part, but at times flies in the face of the preconceived concepts that we have already covered. This is a movie which has a happy ending. And most of the movies that we have discussed thus far, can we say that? Can we truly look at the breadth of genre movies in the folk horror cinema category for British cinema in particular and say that many of these movies end on a positive note? Not really. It usually ends in death and despair. And I'm not saying a dark song doesn't end up in death, but it's hard to argue that it ends in despair. This is a movie that ends on a sweetly poignant, optimistic outlook. That final shot itself being almost a weird ray of sunshine. So, with that in mind, I decided that this might be the better movie to cover in here. I would say please go and check out The Ghoul though, it is an incredible movie and if you've never seen a field in England um, and you've followed our progress through this season, it is definitely the high water mark to tick off for sure. So very similar to what we did in the previous episode when we were talking about the Borderlands and we covered a lot of the details surrounding not only the concepts of the movie, how they focus in and generate it through a different style of filmmaking, we're going to do a very flat review of this movie. Are you Protestant or Catholic? I'm Catholic. Catholic. And the right? The Abramalin, you're not fucking about. No. I've done this three times. Once it worked, twice it didn't. It didn't? Well, I was younger. You've got to have the right person. Why? For love. For love? I love someone. They don't love me anymore. This movie you could spend hours talking about the specific occultism involved with it, with its links back to Alistair Crowley, that idea of the Lima, the esoteric, it is all in there for sure. 
And in fact, I would argue it with a movie like The Devil Rides Out, which had direct contributions from its author, Dennis Wheatley, who'd spent time with Alistair Crowley, kind of really getting into the heart of kind of Satanism, paganism and the occult, magic with a K in general. This is a movie that really kind of doubles down on its ideas and its portrayal of spiritualism and magic, once again with a K. It really spends a lot of time crafting out the ideas of different styles of esoteric thought, whether it be something like the Kabbalah, for example, and kind of breaks the back of it over its knee as a movie to essentially lay out its ideas and concepts. It's a movie steeped in ritual, and those rituals being painful. If anyone's ever done any research into Crowley, and I would say if you have time and you have the inclination, he is one of the most fascinating people in in all of history. It's a guy who lived maybe a hundred lives in one life and pretty much broke every taboo known to modern society uh, fragrantly in the face of a time period which wasn't really forgiving of the specific sexual misdeeds that he got up to. But he's a man who was incredibly intelligent and, you know, meticulous in his detailing of the the rites and rituals that he practiced. And that's kind of where a dark song comes into its own. The movie itself has a sparse cast and a very, very, very simple premise. This is about a woman who is paying a essentially occultist to help her perform one of the most difficult ceremonies. This is going to take a long time, so she rents a house, a remote house, away from prying eyes and uh, family members and anyone who might want to essentially stick their nose in. There's a reason she does this. If you're going to perform this ceremony, you need to be locked in a circle of salt until it is performed, till it is finished. And that process could take days, weeks, months, or even up to a year. She essentially settles on the man that will do this for her, but she's holding some secrets close to her chest, even though she has been expressly told from the start that she needs to give of herself fully in order for the ceremony to work. Originally, she hides the ceremony under the guise of wanting to make someone fall in love with her again. And her occultist shaman sees right through that bullshit. Eventually, we find out it's because her son has died and she wants to hear her son's voice one more time. And thus, we begin the process. For the next two days, I'm going to unshackle the house from the world. You mustn't leave the circle. No food. No water. Focus on the stone I've given you. Fall into it. Swallow the pain and discomfort. On the third morning, we will break for water and food. Then we'll do the same thing in the back two rooms. Six days. I'll start squares. And may all my transgressions be washed. And make me chaste and pure. May my light be here now. 
washed and make me chaste and pure, protecting me. May my light be here now, guiding me, protecting me. And may all my transgressions be washed and make me chaste and pure. It's very painful. It goes in certain ceremonies through painstakingly writing um, scripture and languages long since forgotten. It involves different practices. It, ab- it involves abstaining from sex, particular diets, um, you know, at times going without sleep. It's a horrible, horrible process to go through. And the longer we spend inside this house with these two characters, we start to see that the faith that this process might happen wavers. The reason it may be wavering is that maybe the woman, our central character, is not being honest. And when our true goal is revealed, we find that it's because her son, who was seven, was murdered and she wishes to wreak vengeance, the death on those who perpetrated it. She doesn't know who they were and the police have given up their investigation but she knows that she makes this Faustian pact to summon this angel that they will enact the deed from her offerings. It is a... On one level, the sort of thing you could really see yourself doing I mean, if someone very close to you, someone that you love so utterly was taken from you and you didn't know who it was, would you seek revenge? And if you were told that all you had to do was enact this magical rite, yes, a painful, long process, but at the end you're guaranteed vengeance, wouldn't you want to do it? Unlike most folk horror movies that we've covered thus far, it's generally a character stumbling blindly into a situation that they don't know or being confronted with magical practices or religious beliefs that are out with their comprehension. In this movie, our central character is seeking them out. If we look at a movie like The Borderlands, a previous movie discussed, that's a movie where they're all almost looking to debunk it. They're going in there specifically with the express purposes of kind of showing that everything's a sham. In this movie, our character wants to, nay, needs to believe that what she is doing will get her the outcome that she wants. She needs to believe in it so wholly, so purely, that death will be wrought on those that have wronged her. The interesting thing about this is that the rites that we see are painful. And every time she starts to waver, every time her confidence in the process starts to wane, Her guide is there to bring her back. And it starts with such small symbols. Small signs in the house. Flowers appearing where there shouldn't be. Golden flake leaves dropping from the ceiling. Black birds crashing into windows. Strange noises and creepings around the house. Once she fully gives herself across to the process, things start to intensify. Because she's lied, the ceremony won't work. And her guide has to follow a very extreme version of resetting the scales by drowning her. 
then bringing her back from death. Bringing her back pure, with the clarity of thought to finish the process. During this, he does this fully aware that it will have to balance out on him as well. And he's accidentally stabbed. And gets an infection. And dies. Leaving her alone to finish the ceremony. She kind of breaks the rules. You're not supposed to leave the circle or bad things will come for you. And she does, but she finds that she's stuck in some weird sort of time bubble loop that she can't get away from the house. And not only that now, it has opened doorways to things that shouldn't be in our world. Creatures and malformed people that are there to essentially torture her and take her away. She fights through this. She keeps her faith and at the end of the movie she works her way up and there in the circle is a giant angel. The one that she has summoned. Now we have known throughout this movie from the point that she's given over what her real motives are that what she wants is vengeance above all else. And when confronted with the angel the beauty of the creature summoned she doesn't ask for vengeance at all. Rather, she asks for the power to forgive. The journey herself, going through, changes her perception on how she should carry that pain. And basically, what is beyond the world in our understanding. It's a transformative process. And at the end, she's not the same character she was when she started. Sadly, her teacher has died and he's laid out in the lake to sink, be buried for his good deeds and actions. And she drives off in a ray of sunshine, out with the time loop, into a life where maybe she can move on. And the trauma that she had carried with her into that house may remain in that house forever. And she can go on and live her life. It's a powerful, powerful message, and to be honest, one that is carried out expertly on the screen and I mean there's no doubt in my mind that this is pretty much what I would consider a classic art house horror movie it goes for visuals it goes for the abstract it doesn't go for the scares that you would usually expect this is like imagine a really artistic hellraiser and that's kind of where you land this is someone playing with experiences out with their control and being visited by things which she doesn't expect. But when you strip it back to its bare bones, this is a movie about grief. This is a movie about pain, about suffering and the the steps and depths that we will go to to try and seek vengeance. There's always that great concept of when embarking on a journey for vengeance, pack two shovels, because when you get what you want, it's going to come back tenfold on you. The movie works at its pinnacle through its minimalism. This is a powerhouse performance here, from firstly Stephen Oram, who plays the 
kind of occultist mentor. And Catherine Walker, who plays a wounded mother who's been driven to the depths of despair, on some level to the depths of her sanity. There was a kind of conversation earlier on that maybe she has been put away for a while because of the trauma that this has caused her. And then first and foremost, the most important person here is the director, Liam Gavin, who not only wrote the script but directed it as well, with such a singular, pure vision that is is almost shocking to imagine that this has come from someone so young in their movie career. The movie toys with ideas of domestic abuse. Um, It tackles things like depression, alcoholism, the vices that we carry ourselves as human beings, the brokenness that is to be human. I mean, no one is perfect. No one should be perfect either. We we wear our, our journeys upon our faces and in our lives. And this movie deals with those struggles. We have essentially two characters working through a process. Now, not only is Walker's character out to seek revenge, but as part of this journey, the teacher, the mentor, the magician, so to speak, also gets to ask or make a wish, a desire at the end of the process. And what's interesting about Orem's character here is that what he desires most of all is the ability to just disappear from sight. To no longer be known, sought out, or considered in this world. Weirdly he gets his wish at the end through death. The movie has beautiful composition and cinematography and a wonderful haunting score as well. It's strange to think of who it's going to be marketed to. Like a movie like this doesn't play necessarily entirely well with a horror fan because it's maybe a bit too highbrow than your average horror fan's interests. At the same time, it's a bit too dark to be considered a drama. Your average person who likes a a good gripping drama is probably going to switch off when they start to see, you know, men masturbate over naked women um, or strange Kabbalah-like tree performances being drawn on the ground. Unlikely to grasp and hold their attention to that level. So this movie is weirdly pitched at a a niche audience, but... What is surprising is how it found a footing in the year it came out. There was a movie that regularly made a lot of lists at the end of genre film fans. Years. 2016, powerful year for cinema, but a dark song popped up on a fair few of those lists for sure. And it definitely popped up on mine. It was in my top 10 for that year. In fact, it may have even been top 5. I think it is an incredible movie. I think it is woefully underseen still to this day. Woefully underappreciated. And I think, in contrast with that happy ending, it is one of the more unique movies in the folk horror genre. It's a movie that reminds us that to seek vengeance is human. To be wounded is human to have vices as human, to be flawed as human, and above all else, 
The ability to forgive is maybe the one innate thing that makes us most human. The power in our hearts and our minds to forgive someone for the most unspeakable acts is what defines us most as being human. So we can say with confidence that in a genre which mostly dabbles in bleak endings, a dark song, ironically named, could have the lightest ending of all. And you've been listening to Chronicle Podcast. This has been episode number nine of season three. This is the final episode of this season. Thank you for joining me throughout the year 2020 looking at British folk horror cinema. Now do not despair. We are going away for a couple of months but we will be returning in earnest early 2021 with a brand new theme, a brand new list of movies and another journey which will take us through the old and the new. I'd just like to throw a special thank you to everyone who has been subscribing and checking us out through the Teapots Collective. This has been a labour of love this second channel and has been something I've really enjoyed doing. I toyed with the idea of bringing back Chronicle this year and the thought was that if I did it, if it was going to happen, then it was going to happen because I had something I wanted to discuss. And coming off the back of seeing Midsommar last year and being blown away by the beauty and precision of that movie, folk horror has stuck in my head since. And it's been a real joy going back through all these movies for you guys out there. We will be taking a different tack for sure and visiting some other parts of Europe in next season. And like I say, I hope you join us when we do our return. Please, however, continue checking out the shows on the Teapots Collective. For all your video nasty needs, Doing the Nasty is continuing its look through the Tier 3 movies from the Video Nasty list. Myself and Mark Ball are fighting the good fight there. Opera Omnia recently returned with season number 2, looking at the movies of Peter Strickland. And if you enjoy getting to grasps with genres, topics and subjects which you've always wanted to maybe dabble in but never knew where to start, then where to begin with in season 1 looking at Giallo Cinema is the show for you. It's running doing Giallo movies throughout the entirety of 2020 and in 2021 we'll tackle a brand new year-long subject giving you a list of movies which will round out your knowledge of a subgenre. So plenty to check out, plenty to support over there. So all that's left for me to say for the final time in this season and this year is that from myself, Duncan McLeish, who has written, edited, recorded and released these podcasts for you, please take care of yourselves. And remember, intolerance is evidence of impotence. This is Duncan McLeish for Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Signing off. Ignition. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0.